everybody. Welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior, IgA nephropathy warrior, and focused on food, fitness, and sharing the individual stories of IBD. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now let's get to it. Well, hi, everyone. My guest today is Holly Fowler, who's been living with ulcerative colitis for nearly 14 years, hospitalized more times than she can count, including once in a foreign country, and despite her diagnosis, has proceeded to have a career in corporate marketing, travel the world, run a marathon, and build her own business. She's here to share her journey with IBD and how she balances and lives her life to the fullest. Thank you so much for joining me today, Holly, and welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. So we're going to start off and jump into what is my favorite part of the podcast, and that's hearing your IBD story. So why don't you go ahead and jump in and share your journey and talk us about when you were first diagnosed? Sure. So I was diagnosed in 2008 at the age of 19, and it was actually a really sudden onset of ulcerative colitis, which is not the case for many people I have, <laughs> I have come to learn. Many people end up having years of testing done before they come to a conclusive diagnosis. And, you know, it's like, good, bad <laughs> to have such a sudden onset, but I literally woke up one morning and had an upset stomach and mm -hmm. it never got better. <laughs> um, but I you know, as long as I can remember, I always had stomach issues. Mm -hmm. In the third grade, I was taken out of school and um, I went to a children's hospital for testing because my stomach issues were so bad. And all they came up with was lactose intolerance. Oh, wow. I mean, it's laughable now, mm -hmm. but that was 95. So things were a little different back then. Sure. Yeah. So but you did struggle with it for years then if you'd had symptoms since you were a kid. And that's so familiar to so many of us where you, you just kind of, you brush off these things that you don't think anything of it until the big episode of whether it's a hospitalization or a flare or whatever it is, it's like the moment <laughs> that, you know, something's really wrong. Truly. I think back and I realize I did have that all along, maybe to a lesser degree, but I, you know, had severe stomach issues um, my whole childhood. I, to this day, it's kind of a joke now. I don't crave ice cream because mm -hmm. that, that I don't have that childhood memory of loving ice cream because I was never allowed to have it. In the 90s, we didn't have dairy free options. You just went without. So yeah. I never, as a child. So I don't crave it today as like a, a summerhood or summerhood, a childhood summer favorite. Mm -hmm. Makes yeah. sense. So take me through the, take me through the rest of your journey. So you, you kind of struggle a little bit as a kid, it sounds like, but kind of keep, keep us on the journey. So I woke up one morning, had a stomach ache and it only progressed much, much worse. Um, for the next week and a half. And my mom is a nurse and she did, she threw everything at me for the flu, the stomach, like any stomach virus. And I went to multiple doctors and they would send me home with something like Prevacid, mm -hmm. some sort of antacid. And so finally I was hospitalized and quickly diagnosed and put on Humira, put on Lialda, and I was told at diagnosis that if I took these medications that I could eat and drink and do whatever I wanted. I remember specifically oh, wow. as a 19, as a college student, like, how is this going to change my life? Like, yeah. am I my diet? And my doctor said, as long as you take this, you can eat whatever you want. And, wow. oh gosh, I loved, I, I loved that doctor. I really did. Mm -hmm. um, but sent me on a path where like, okay, I'm a college student. So I did what college students do and basically wrecked my body further. Yeah. <laughs> and eating I, anything you wanted. <laughs> eating anything I wanted. Because you were 19, you said, when you got the diagnosis, right? 
And did they do a colonoscopy or anything at that time? Or did they just know right away when, when your mom had finally taken you into the hospital? Did they just know at that first appointment or did you, did it take a few meetings? It was during that first hospitalization that I got my diagnosis. I was too inflamed to do a full colonoscopy. I hold my stomach as if. (laughs) You're remembering the. (laughs) Um, I was too inflamed to have the full colonoscopy, but I did a flex, had a flex sigmoid, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, like a partial Mm -hmm. colonoscopy. And they could see the inflammation and the ulcers through just that. And also my dad had Crohn's disease, so they were already looking for it. So it's definitely in the family. It did. It does. Yes. And it was lucky that my doctor was also my dad's doctor. So the whole, like the family history really well. So I was lucky in that they were already looking for Crohn's or colitis. Mm -hmm. Now with your dad having IBD, So, you know, you mentioned you're now you're in college and you've been told you can eat whatever you want. And so then you start your college journey. Did your dad ever question that advice or was he kind of in the same boat of just being able to eat whatever he wanted? So it was kind of like go off to college and have fun. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. I forget sometimes that he has Mm -hmm. grown, actually, because his is so mild that he mm-hmm. hasn't taken medication in over a decade. He wow. was all, I think he took like one um, round of it. He had it like, and then he hasn't had a flare up since he, you know, milder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe some IBS, but um, he had a much milder experience leading up to his diagnosis. And then after he took that, it was like, he was fine. And so, so no reason for him to question the, just take your medications, eat what you want and go live life. Exactly. Yep. And so I wasn't told anything else. I, I mean, and that's really at the time thinking back, that's what I wanted to hear. Obviously as going into my sophomore year of college, I didn't want this to derail my life in any way. I didn't even want to acknowledge it. And so I, like, you know, I was thinking of it as an inconvenience, like, oh mm-hmm. gosh, I have to give anything up for this. And said, no. And so I just took them at face value. I'm like, I'm not going to dig deeper into this. If mm-hmm. they say medication and do whatever I want, then that's what I'm going to do. And my entire college experience, thankfully I graduated on time, which is a total miracle but I was in and out of the hospital every six months and they were constantly increasing that medication and increasing Mm -hmm. it and changing it. And I was in the biggest brain fog of my life. I was sick. I don't Mm -hmm. think I ever fully got into remission and still they just kept increasing the medication. Like nothing changed. I mean, (laughs) it, yeah, it was a wild time in college. (laughs) And that was throughout the whole pretty much three years if you were going into your sophomore year, the whole rest of the three years of college. Yes. Including a study abroad in Spain, which was, you, you mentioned my um, hospitalization Mm -hmm. and that was it. I studied abroad in Spain and I was so sick right in the middle of it and was hospitalized for eight days in Spain. (laughs) What was that experience like being overseas and going to a hospital in Spain? Were you fluent if you were studying abroad? Were you at least partially fluent? (laughs) You know, I was a, I was a Spanish major, Mm -hmm. but at that time I was just getting to my advanced level classes and I did not speak fluent Spanish. I could like kind of understand it. Mm -hmm. That was the most traumatic hospital experience. And I've had a lot, <laughs> but yeah. that was the traumatic one because it was, I was so sick and so far from home. And my host mother spoke zero English. Mm-hmm. And so our communication was very broken up and they did not have interpreters at the hospital. And they did not consider bedside manner an essential part of the hospital experience. Like, basically, it was 
it's lay back, let us take care of you, do our job, don't ask questions. And wow. I had so many questions <laughs> and they didn't speak English. It was, so I thankfully had friends from my program coming through checking on me who spoke better Spanish than I did. And they mm-hmm. were asking questions for me, but it was, you know, bare bones experience. There was not even, I haven't thought about this for a while. They didn't even have an electric bed to mm-hmm. like and raise the bed up. If you want to sit up, they, have, they had a metal tool but on your bedside that you had to get out of your bed, go to the end of the bed, crank it up. And you, you had to do it yourself. Yeah. Oh yeah. They Unless didn't... For me, like they didn't have bedside manner. They were just like in and out. Mm-hmm. And then, and I mean, I was hooked up to, um, uh, IV fluids. At one point I had liquid nutrition. And so I had tubes <laughs> all mm-hmm. over the place and having to like, I was so sick having to like crank my bed up and crank it back down. It was just very traumatic. Yeah. What advice would you give for someone? Because there's a lot of us with IBD and we like to travel and, and go to different places, but I know that's a common fear that what happens if I get sick and I'm overseas or I have to go to a hospital and I'm not in my home country. Are there some tips that you would give to people having gone through that experience yourself now? Absolutely. And I will say that actually didn't deter me from traveling more. I actually went back to Spain Mm -hmm. a few years ago, English for a year, and I was super healthy, did not get hospitalized once. So I want to say that I still have the (laughs) truth about me. Um, I would say be as prepared as possible. If you're going out of the country, take copies of your medical records, take copies of your prescriptions and make sure that you're bringing plenty of your prescriptions, maybe ask for an extra dose or an extra 30 days of the medication just in case, because you never know what's happened. So always bring extras, always bring copies of everything. And, you know, if you do have to, if you're in the position of needing to be hospitalized, just taking a deep breath and, you know, just trusting that these are medical that are there to help you. It may feel and look different. They may be speaking a different language, but there's still medical professionals that are there to help you. And, you know, you're at their, their discretion of how they want to treat you. And so just, I think just having like taking a deep breath, Mm -hmm. calming yourself and focusing, because it's also a mental game of, yeah. You know, being outside of the country and not in your comfort zone, like very outside of your comfort zone. Um, but yeah, just being as prepared as you can ahead of time and being conscious of your, especially with IBD, being conscious of your food and drink choices and lifestyle. Like, yes, take some liberties when you're traveling, enjoy the food and the culture. But don't go so crazy that you're going to put yourself in that situation. So just being very mindful of of your intake overall and your lifestyle while you're traveling. Those those are very good tips. And along those same lines, it got me thinking, um, what was it like to travel with your medication? Because you mentioned at that point, your doses had kept getting increased. And so you were definitely taking the medications with you. Was that challenging to be gone for so long abroad and then taking medication with you and getting it resupplied while you were there? It was when I was studying abroad, I was on different medication when I went back to teach English. So studying abroad was challenging because I was on Humira, which has to be refrigerated. And it was a really long flight. And so it was challenging. I had to bring a cooler to make sure that it stayed um, the right temperature that, I mean, that sometimes meant having to go to like a food court at the airport Mm -hmm. and getting extra ice or something, just being mindful of that. Um, And then also one thing I didn't take into consideration is the refrigerator temperature in Spain was slightly off from the refrigerator temperature in the U.S., which Mm -hmm. is not, you don't, you just don't think about. And 
I, you know, at the time I blamed the refrigerator temperature because it's just a little bit warmer and I Mm -hmm. thought it went bad. But I didn't take into consideration that I was studying abroad in Spain at the age of 20 years old, like Mm -hmm. everyone else. Like, I don't quite think it was the medication being like, (laughs) I think it was more of quite frankly, like the amount of alcohol that I consumed and the Mm -hmm. amount like partying and like lack of sleep and my entire routine was off and I had a blast, but I definitely drove my body into the ground. So at the time I'm like, oh, darn that medication temperature <laughs> and didn't like give myself credit for how I was wrecking the body. Were you thinking that it wasn't working? Like this doesn't work over here because it's gone bad and yeah. it warmed up two degrees. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the medication experience of being gone the next time I was gone for one semester. So four months, the first time mm-hmm. studying abroad. And then after college, I went back for a, a year. And surprisingly, I was much healthier for the longer period of time because I mean, for various reasons, I learned, I learned my lesson, mm-hmm. but medication that was more generic and it was not a biologic. It was pill form and it was easier to refill at the pharmacy. Mm-hmm. And actually I loved it because it was so cheap. <laughs> it was so cheap. Um, and you know, as a, um, I'm trying to remember it's been so long, but as a foreigner, like expat going to mm-hmm. work at, um, as a part of the government, you get a certain type of insurance. And so you do get a little bit of a discount being, um, a, an ex expat mm-hmm. worker. Yeah. That's good to know. <laughs> Very specific information, but if anyone <laughs> wants to turn, I, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> That's good. So take me back on your journey. So you graduate college, you're, it sounds like you're kind of really struggling with the disease in the sense that it's not getting better. The medication's increasing and you're fighting it, so to speak. So what, what happens next? So I, I come back from Spain. I live at home and, you know, try to start my young professionals career and still just, I was on a medication in those days called Emuran. Mm -hmm. And boy, do I not recommend that medication. It's ancient. It was originally made for kidney transplant patients. And I had just this massive, massive brain fog due to this one medication I was on. And I just couldn't function. I mm-hmm. was, like, I felt like I was just walking with this dark cloud over my head where I just couldn't focus. I couldn't, my memory was terrible and I was desperate. So I found a holistic doctor in my town where I lived and he opened my eyes. I started exploring the idea of nutrition and alternative therapies and just started digging into my own research, found this great holistic doctor. What prompted you to start doing that? Was it just that the medication wasn't working and so it got your wheels turning? Like what else can I do or what started you down that path? I think I just got to a point where I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm-hmm. I knew this medication, it, the medication actually was working. I was on, so it was like the first medication that was helping. And I felt like I was in remission, but I felt Mm -hmm. terrorized. And so I had this, um, this realization where like, I'm going to feel terrible whether I'm in remission or not. I, I just don't accept that. So I had been diagnosed for, I think five years at that point. Mm -hmm. And I was just fed up. I got to this boiling point where there has to be something else. And I think Instagram was like two years old at that point. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to age, but it, so social media access wasn't really a thing. And so I went down this dark rabbit hole on the internet and just looking to see what other people are doing. And I started discovering nutrition Mm -hmm. and I already ate, you know, healthy. I use that in air quotes. I was relatively healthy and health minded, but 
the fact that there were there was so much more room that I could explore with nutrition. Um, I was just really interested in that. And I was at the point, and as a health coach, you know, I see this in my clients too. You have to get to a point where you are willing to change everything to feel better. You have to be willing to do it yourself. And I just completely changed overhauled my entire diet. Mm-hmm. I experimented with the help of this holistic doctor just trying and it was it was a very strict diet. I don't even think there's a name for it honestly, but it would be a almost kind of like an AIP paleo style mm-hmm. diet. And my <laughs> I had a boyfriend at the time who thought I had an eating disorder. It was so strict. <laughs> You're like, no, I'm just trying to be healthy and feel better. <laughs> yeah, but you just don't get it. This is, mm-hmm. I love food. <laughs> I love all that I'm doing this for a very specific purpose. And I actually saw a lot of results from it. And once I started feeling better, I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I been doing? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I eased up from that very strict diet and started re-entering things in my, in my diet. Um, and then I moved, so I lived in South Carolina. I started exploring that and got a job offer in California and moved to the Bay area. And I feel like, cause at that point in South Carolina, I was working in an office and I was making my own kombucha. Mm-hmm. I was exploring my own kefir making my own bone broth and I was bringing it to the office and they were like, what is I have, I have gone down the exact same path. And so you are not alone. I used to have, you know, you'd grow the mother for the kombucha and I had like these three jars and I'm rotating the mother all the time. And then I'm Googling, what do I do with the extra mother when it's too old? And, and then I made my own kefir, kefir. I've heard it both ways. I don't know what it is, but I got the grains. I was doing the raw milk on the counter and all the, all the same different things. So you're not alone. Cause sometimes I think about that and it's like so much work and my goodness, who else is doing this? <laughs> so I'm glad to have finally met someone. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> I'm doing. Um, but so I moved to, well, I guess back up a little bit. So mm-hmm. I, you know, living at home and starting my marketing career in corporate marketing, I, really got into running as I started feeling better. And I went a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further and loved it and just felt so good. And I went off, I was completely off my medication, eating this very, very, very healthy diet and running. And it just, it felt so nice. And I ran, I started training for a marathon and no, I was still so new to this alternative path Mm -hmm. and I fully understand inflammation in the body and what can cause it and how like stress is a main factor and stress can come from various (laughs) parts of life. And it didn't even occur to me that the stress of the physical stress of training for a marathon could, despite everything else could put me into a flare up. Mm Mm-hmm. I was off completely off my medication going all natural. And it was like three weeks before the, the marathon. And I started flaring after I promised my mom that I, if I felt symptoms that I would stop training and I didn't. Oh no! I'm doing this. I'm at like mile 18. I'm going to do this. And so I actually ran that marathon in a full flare, which do not recommend. I don't recommend. (laughs) I'm so proud that I did it overall, but I feel like I could have done it a little bit differently. So (laughs) what did it take for you to recover after that flare up? Because you'd gone set. I'm going to ask you first about the flare up and and how you recovered, but it sounds like you pretty much at that point, you had made some major lifestyle changes, overhauled your diet, gotten rid of the medications, ran the marathon, put yourself in a flare. So talk to me about how you got out of that flare up and then rewind a little bit and share kind of what your diet was like before and what it had gotten to at that point and kind of what those big changes you think were. 
Yeah. So that flare up actually was pretty hard to get out of because I wasn't on any medication. So I was starting from ground zero and my doctor wasn't very happy with me that I quit my medication. (laughs) Um, So I went back. I, I think I'm trying to remember. I did the prednisone thing. I restarted Humira and got myself out of the flare, went back into that strict diet. And it, I mean, it, honestly, it took months for me to fall back to myself. And I mean, on top of that, my body was really stressed out physically from that marathon. So that didn't help the healing process, I believe. So it, it did, I did have to go the traditional route and um, it did get me traditional plus the, mm-hmm. so it, it did take me a while to, to get back to normal. Yeah. So what does your normal look like now? What is kind of that diet, the changes you made, the lifestyles? Talk me through some of those things. Yeah. So today, and because I, the stricter diet is sometimes required, but I like, typically I am, I feel my best in a paleo style diet Mm -hmm. where I eat all of the fruits, all of the vegetables, proteins, meats. And I, if I'm feeling really good, I might eat some rice or might eat some beans, but that's not really typical. Um, you know, for a little diversity, I like to add some beans, but that's very rare. Um, so yeah, paleo is kind of where my equilibrium, where, when I'm feeling my best, Mm -hmm. sometimes, if I'm in full remission, then, you know, I might have like a couple bites of gluten if it's really <laughs> bites of dairy, but, but generally I just, yeah, I like the paleo lifestyle and diet mm-hmm. and in terms of like more lifestyle stuff. I feel like stress was a really big trigger for me. I noticed looking back in college, I always flared around finals. I always flared when I had big projects at work. And more recently in the last two years, I really took up meditation and journaling as a part mm-hmm. of my morning and just, you know, practicing deep breathing in the moment of stress when that comes up and just being more cognizant of, of how to manage it before it gets out of control and yeah. be, yeah, just being aware of it. Um, and then moving my body every day. Mm-hmm. So I am not at the moment. I'm actually recovering from COVID. I no longer have it. Just Mm -hmm. I, when I'm feeling good, I like to work out every day. And even in, even in flare up, I still move every day. Sometimes, I mean, it looks a lot different Mm -hmm. (laughs) remission. It's more of like a walk around the block or Mm -hmm. doing some gentle yoga or stretching. Tell me a little bit about your fitness journey. It sounded like when you started feeling better, you picked up the running and obviously running became a passion. So had fitness always been a passion or is that really when it started? And what are some of the things you've done and learned over the years since you picked up that? Oh man, my fitness journey. (laughs) I've come to a really good place, but it's taken me a while to get here. I've always been very active, even pre-diagnosis. I mean, I think about, I don't know if it was just because I was a, probably because I was a teenager, I had a ton of energy, but I think back on days, like, man, I could do like three activities in one day. <laughs> um, but I loved, I mean, in high school, I ran track and I took dance and I just did all of the things I liked being involved in all of the physical activities and, or I, I was also on the swim team for a year. So I just liked mixing it up and being really active. And in college and post-college, I got into running and, you know, running is challenging with ulcerative colitis because it's not consistent. Mm-hmm. So when you feel better, I love taking advantage of being able to work out. It's like one of my biggest joys in life because I never take it for granted. Mm -hmm. So anytime I feel good, I want to do it every single day. And that has gotten me in trouble in the past because I am an all or nothing kind of girl. And so hence the marathon 
running. And then when I couldn't run, I got into CrossFit mm-hmm. and did CrossFit five times a week. And then I got sick. And so I've noticed that I just would go all out on fitness and just would go, I mean, it was ridiculous Go to the extreme. Mm-hmm. And now where I'm at is just a total feeling of gratitude to work out at all because mm-hmm. I used to, you know, I would do a marathon and then would be sick for four months and then I would do CrossFit and then wouldn't work out for three months. And so now I'm trying to keep this steady state where I am not necessarily training for anything. Oh, and Spartan races. I was, yeah, I'm ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I noticed this pattern in myself where I would always do something extreme and then get sick and something extreme and get sick. And so now I like to work out every day but like to a lesser extreme, I just do mm-hmm. it, feel good. I do it to make myself stronger and so that my body will be healthy for longer. So it's definitely been a long journey for me to learn. I learned the hard way over and over and over again. And now I just enjoy it for the fun of it. So next time when you run a marathon and you tell your mom you're going to stop, if you start having symptoms or feel bad, are you going to stop next time? <laughs> Oh, if I will. (laughs) (laughs) So you're still figuring out the uh, the balance and allowing yourself to take an easy day. (laughs) Yeah, I told my husband recently that I think I still have I still have one more marathon in me, um, but I want to do it in a very healthy, very sustainable way. Um, I did not do it that way last time. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I you know, I paid for it. And so I want to see how it feels to run a marathon in a like healthy remission. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I don't know it's in my mind, but I'm not training or planning for it. I'm just like letting it happen and just (laughs) enjoying the mild workouts that I do from day Mm -hmm. to day for now. And do you still do running? Is running still your go-to activity or do you have a favorite? I, it's still my favorite, but I had a little mild flare um, a couple of months ago. I got, I was feeling really great last year and was getting like back into the swing of running. And then, you know, a little baby flare hit and I wasn't able to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's still my favorite form of exercise. It's just not consistent for me. So right now my favorite is, and I am not, I'm not a beach body coach, but I, my mom has the login for beach body and this isn't even like, you know, an advertisement for it, but they just, (laughs) I like workouts right now where I can just push play in my living room Mm -hmm. and like, some weights and do it in between work meetings or mm-hmm. something that that's my favorite right now where I can just do it at home without, you know, skipping a beat. Yeah. What are some of your biggest tips for someone who is listening and thinking that they want to start being more active or start going on a fitness journey and balancing IBD? What tips would you have that would help them through that without following into the same kind of challenges you found yourself facing where it's like, I'm ready to go all in because so many of us, especially with IBD, have that kind of personality where we just, I think it's hard on our bodies, but we still do it anyway. So what kind of fitness tips would you share? Yeah, that's a great, great question. So I would, and this is what I always say is start by walking, no Mm -hmm. matter at whether you are in remission or you're coming out of a flare up or you're in a flare up, um, just start walking. I, even if it's around the block, even if it's really slow pace, like just getting your body used to moving. Um, I think walking is one of the best and most underutilized forms of movement, especially for IBD, because, you know, when you get to running, it can kind of like have that jostling effect. (laughs) Not always desired. (laughs) But walking is always great because, you know, you're outside enjoying the fresh air. So, and you can always increase your pace or increase the distance, go up a hill. There's, there's so many ways to start increasing that, the difficulty. So walking is always my first step um, that I recommend. And another one is yoga. Yoga is so good 
for IVD patients, especially because we spend a lot of time sedentary, laying in the bed, laying on the couch. And it's so good for stretching and just moving your body very gently without, you know, jumping headfirst into a HIIT workout or CrossFit workout. So, um, and then from there, the next step I would recommend is starting with like really gentle body weight movements, like teaching your body how to do a squat and you don't have to have weight. It doesn't have to be fast. It doesn't even have to be, there don't have to be a lot of reps, just like teaching your body how to do a squat, learning push-ups, learning the basics and just getting your body into those movements. And from there you can obviously like start adding weight and start adding more reps. So I just, I think those are the three tips that I always recommend to IBD patients. Mm -hmm. Those are great tips. I love those. And it makes sense because you also do this as your business now. So what I want to hear about is how you took this journey from corporate marketing to what you're doing now with health coaching and IBD coaching. I think you have group sessions for IBD patients and a whole bunch of different things. So tell me about that journey of switching to out of corporate marketing and sharing the journey of what you're doing now and exactly what you're doing. Yeah, I I started when I went down that path of alternative medicine and nutrition, I started getting a lot of questions from people about like they started noticing a difference in me and you know, even my physical appearance, I looked healthier. And so I created a blog as a way to have one centralized location for all the answers to these questions. And from there, I wanted to do more. So I got a certification as a health coach, a certification as a personal trainer, and, you know, continued doing that on the side while I had my corporate marketing career. And it was in 2020 when I had my, well, you know, we all had a collective yeah. <laughs> experience in 2020, still having it. And I also, at the same time, was having the worst flare of my life. It lasted a year and a half, which I've never oh, wow. had before. And I got to a point where I needed to do something else. And, and a lot of us felt this, I think, in 2020, when we kind of realized, like, what are we doing with our lives? Why aren't we going for what we actually want to do? And I realized this is exactly where what I needed to focus on. And so I started putting the pieces together. I had these certifications. I had this blog and Instagram. And I hired a business coach to kind of put it all together and build a business. And so for the last year and a half, I or almost two years, I've been building this business to help Crohn's and colitis patients just like myself to help them navigate the diagnosis and be that beacon of light that I didn't have and wish that I had back in 2008 when I had no idea what I was doing, when I had no support, no guidance. So I, I'm building this business around the support that I wish that I had back then. Is that what also prompted you to really become an advocate for IBD? It sounds like as you were making this transition, that's when you started your blog. How did you really become an advocate and think, I've, I want to share my story and I want to reach out? You know, it, I never thought that this is where, <laughs> where life would take me. But as I had built that blog and it really started connecting me with people who were going through similar experiences it was so wild to me to be able to talk to people who were going through the same experience. I spent years being the only person that I knew with Crohn's or colitis. And when I would somehow connect with someone else who had it, it was mind blowing to me. It, it was just like, literally gave me like the tingly feeling, warm feeling. It just made me feel I don't know, like I wasn't alone. Um, and really the first time I shared it publicly, publicly was right after my diagnosis. And I worked at a summer camp and they wanted me to share my story on video that they would 
project to like a thousand people at this summer camp. And I did it. And that people came up to me afterwards. Like, oh, my mom has it. My sister has it. I was just diagnosed with it. Like, what? So it's just being able to connect with other people and not feel alone is the most valuable thing for IBD. And so I spent years not talking about it and only talking to my parents about it and not even really my friends because it was weird and gross and Mm -hmm. like, I don't, I don't know. I just wanted to be normal. And the more I shared, the more people resonated with it. And so I started seeing the power in sharing my story and allowing other people to not feel alone. And so it's really got me to this place where I don't really have any shame about it. Maybe I should, but I tell stories that make other people uncomfortable because (laughs) someone out there is going to resonate with it and, and feel like they're not alone. So that's the whole reason why I love sharing my stories, like really raw, really unedited. Yeah. To help other people. Well, that's a beautiful thing. And I love that you're willing to share it so raw and to be so vulnerable because when when we're going through something that we don't know what it is, it's new to us. It's a new symptom. It's a new experience. I know even for myself, first thing I do is I go straight to Google. I'm like, who else is having you know blood in their bowel movements or having this weird pain or having something that I really don't want to talk to anybody about. And I don't really want to bring it up to my doctor if it might not be something. So let me see if other people are having it, you know, there's, and it's important. And if we didn't have other people's stories to go to and to lean on, then we'd just, we'd be in the dark and so many questions unanswered. (laughs) So, so thank you for sharing your unfiltered stories and experience and being an advocate for IBD. It's, it's appreciated. So tell me, what is your blog? I know what it is, and I love it. I love the name, but go ahead and tell the listeners what your blog is. So my blog is kaleidoscopenutrition.com, spelled like colitis. And my Instagram is Fowler H-O-L-L-S-F-O-W-L-E-R. And so it's got lots of blog, lots of information on it. Um, and there they'll also find what I offer, which is one-on-one coaching. So I focus on nutrition, mindset, lifestyle, which includes like sleep and stress and anxiety and how to manage these things because it's all connected and it, it all can help or hurt IBD. And so I take my I, my one-on-one clients through all of these things to help them get to a point where they are in remission and that they can stay there. And more recently, actually, it's launching this spring, the new cohort, a group for women with IBD, because I just feel like there are specific questions for women with IBD. Every woman that I've talked to has the same concerns. They are you know, they're busy. They are talking about pregnancy, about, you know, whether they, they, you know, they have hopes of having a baby one day or they've gone through it and they should be connected to Mm -hmm. be able to experience, um, balancing home life and work life and with an, with an autoimmune disease. So there are just specific things that I feel are really special around women with IBD and to be able to connect them. And while learning how to eat, how to sleep, how to, you know, manage stress Mm -hmm. to help yourself feel better. So that's launching this spring. And I think it's going to be really, really special. That's wonderful. It sounds really exciting. And I love that it's, that it's going to be available and out there. One quick digression. I have to ask the website name, Kaleidoscope Nutrition. Is there a, an inspiration or a meaning that sparked the creativity behind that? You know, it's, it's funny and I'll give them credit for this. So my friends in college, two of my guy friends, they had this running joke where they always called me something different. They love puns and nicknames. And, and so I, when I was building this blog, I could not think of anything that would be memorable. I just could, I was coming up with a total blank. And so I texted them out of the blue. I'm like, if you were to create a blog, 
that was about this, what would it be? And that was their first response. Like I knew it. I knew they would have the right answer. So (laughs) that's awesome. That's fun. So back to your blog, (laughs) in addition to the services and the one-on-one and the different things that are coming that you do offer, I noticed you do actually have some really great free resources for people that are out there with IBD. And so I thought maybe you might want to mention, I saw that you have a workbook, a, a free releasing the shame audio guide and workbook. And I was wondering if you could tell us about that. Yeah, I have lots of freebies. Um, the, that one is one that I love the most because yes, I have a, a free healing grocery list and a workout guide. And those are, those are fantastic. But this releasing shame workbook, it's an audio, it's an audio file and also a workbook that you can, um, you know, take notes alongside the audio file, but it's just not something that's talked about that much. And it's the shame of having an autoimmune disease, specifically Crohn's and colitis. There's so much shame around it where we don't feel like we can share our experience or at least our authentic, true experience. We have to sugarcoat it or just smile and say, I'm fine. And really we're like dying on the inside. And so there's just been too much stigma for too long around living with a chronic illness. And again, like we talked about, it took me years before I said a word about what I was going through. And those were the sickest years of my life. And so now that I'm in a healthy place where I have accepted it, this is part of me. This is part of my life's journey. And I want other people to get to that place of acceptance as well, where they don't feel like they have to be ashamed of it, that they can share their experience and they can live authentically themselves. That's a wonderful workbook. So tell me, is there any other question that we have not covered that you wanted to share with the audience or a question that you have for me that I can answer? I I don't know. I feel like you did such a good job of covering it so um so well. Yeah, I think um even Oh my gosh, how am I going to phrase this? Something that I've been thinking about recently is that you can still do everything right and still get sick. And so there's no guarantee that you're going to stay healthy. And that's really terrible to say because this is my whole business, but truly like not feeling like you failed. Or um, I saw recently someone on Instagram posting about how like, we didn't fail the medication. The medication failed us because the verbiage in the medical community is like, okay, well, you know, you failed Humira, so now we're on to Stellara, or you failed Stellara, so now we're on to Intibio. Like, okay, well, we're not the failure here. Yeah. Like, it's the medication that just wasn't a good match for our specific, you know, immune system makeup or whatever. So that's just something that I've been thinking about and that's important for people to know is that you can still do everything right and sometimes get sick because we have an autoimmune disease, but setting, doing everything you can to keeping yourself healthy and keeping yourself in remission is still super, super important. That's well said. And a great reminder. It's, it's something I think about a lot too, because having interviewed and talked with so many different people and hearing their different stories, it's, it's interesting how you really can be doing everything right. And it just, sometimes it's just not enough and your body just will let you know, and it's not enough and it's okay. And it's not something that you did. And, and when you are feeling good, take those moments and really embrace them and do everything you can to make sure you feel the best. So I think that was a great reminder to share with people. So is there anywhere else online that people can find you? We've got your blog kaleidoscopenutrition.com correct yeah (laughs) okay (laughs) your blog your instagram is there anywhere else that you like to refer people to go to so i (laughs) i am building up my youtube channel so that is i've been doing a lot of facebook lives and Mm -hmm. uh, more longer form videos and that is a good place to find them so (laughs) this is terrible 
my YouTube channel is, if you look up my name, I think it's Holly. <laughs> You'll find it. I'll find <laughs> you and I'll, I'll put it in the links so that everyone listening can just click on them. <laughs> what are, tell me about your YouTube. What are some of the topics and the, the goal and the vision that you have with doing the YouTube videos? So that is more awareness and educational. And I want it to be a safe and encouraging space for people with chronic illness. And so it's just a collection because, you know, with social media, videos can get lost down the rabbit hole of like, you know, years gone by. And so I wanted to create one collective space where people can find all that information. So it is about um, dating and marriage with chronic illness. It's about, I actually share a very personal story about how I chose to wear adult diapers for the first time a few years ago in a flare up. Um, so it's a lot of personal stories, a lot of, um, tips on how to thrive with a chronic illness. And soon I may start doing interviews myself. So that's a fun, that's a fun thing to look out for. That's wonderful. I highly encourage it because the more stories we can get out there and share the better. And I am excited to find your YouTube channel and to go listen to the stories myself and in the content that you're posting. So thank you for such number one, thank you for a wonderful conversation Two, thank you for all of the resources and the information that you're putting out there for the IBD community. It's just wonderful to know that so many people are creating valuable content that anyone with Crohn's and ulcerative colitis or anyone who knows someone with that can, can come and learn more about it. So thank you for that. And for a wonderful conversation today. Yes. Thank you for putting out such wonderful stories. I think the more stories, the better. So I think there's still so much room for more advocacy and awareness. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at crohn'sfitnessfood at gmail.com. And if you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at crohn'sfitnessfood or visit my blog, crohn'sfitnessfood.com. And finally, remember, be strong, be grateful, and keep going, my fellow warriors. <laughs>